Welcome to Cultural Connections Lab. I'm your host, Dr. Kelly Forbes. We are here to talk with educational professionals around the world to impact and influence the education system as we focus on cultural connections and the education of multilingual, diverse students. We're excited to have you join us today, and we sincerely hope that you enjoy the show. Are you ready to take your school district to new heights? Introducing Educators, the leading software as a service platform for Title III and multilingual support in education. At Educators, we understand the importance of equitable education and empowering multilingual learners to thrive in today's classrooms. Our cutting-edge technology provides school districts across the nation with the tools they need to enhance language acquisition, foster inclusivity, and improve academic outcomes. With seamless implementation and comprehensive support, EduSkills ensures a smooth transition for your district, empowering educators to provide targeted instruction and personalized support. So why wait? Unlock the potential of your school district today with EduSkills. Visit our website at EduSkillsLLC.com or call us now at 405-879-9898 to schedule a demo. EduSkills. Transforming education, one student at a time. Hello, listeners, and thank you for coming back for another podcast with Cultural Connections Lab. I am here with a fantastic educator, Dr. Jose Viana. Um, Dr. Viana is a first-generation Cuban immigrant who started his primary years as an English language learner. The magnificent teachers that he encountered in his early learning inspired him to become an educator. Viana has devoted his life to improving educational opportunities for minority populations and is honored to serve our nation's English learners and their families. Viana served for eight years as an administrator of the Migrant Education Program for North Carolina's Department of Public Instruction, where he supported migrant students and youths to meet high academic standards by overcoming obstacles due to frequent moves educational disruption, cultural and linguistic differences, and health-related problems. Dr. Viana began his career in Miami-Dade County Public Schools as an elementary school teacher for emergent bilinguals and multilingual learners, and later was a humanities instructor at an international baccalaureate world school, which aims to develop knowledgeable young people to help create a better and more peaceful world through intercultural understanding and respect. Concurrently, Viana and prepared and delivered general teaching skill sessions to Florida International University's undergraduate students, receiving a Bachelor's of Science degree in education in all levels and content areas. After acquiring a certification in educational leadership in 2006, Dr. Viana became an elementary school administrator for Durham in North Carolina for Durham Public Schools, where he established the district-wide Title I Parent Advisement Committee for Hispanics to help ensure that Latino children from low-income families met challenging state academic standards. Dr. Jose Viana was named Assistant Deputy Secretary and Director of the Office of English Language Acquisition on April 12th in 2017. He was the Principal Advisor to the Secretary of Education on all matters related to the education of English learners. Now estimated to be about 10% of the total K-12 public school enrollment nationwide. As head of, e- of OELA, 
Viana administered programs under Title III of the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, which supported high-quality instruction for linguistically and culturally diverse students. The office also supported professional development programs for teachers of emergent bilingual and multilingual learners. Dr. Viana is committed to ensuring improvement of English language education through the department's initiatives, and under his stewardship, Dr. Viana guided OELA toward realizing its mission and vision to, quote, provide national leadership in EL education by advancing opportunities for educational excellence and equity for English learners and their families. Most recently in 2019, Lexia Learning, a Rosetta Stone company, announced that Dr. Jose Viana had joined their team as senior education advisor. Dr. Viana also serves as an advisor across Rosetta Stone and helps support emergent bilinguals and multilingual learners, educators, and families across the nation. It is so exciting and fantastic to have someone of your knowledge, of your stature, of your intelligence, of your background to be a guest on Cultural Connections Lab. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Kelly, and thank you for the introduction. Well, you deserve a truly an amazing introduction for all the amazing things that you've really done in the field of education and also most specifically in the field of bilingual and multilingual education. I, I appreciate you. Ever since the first time I was able to get to meet you, I was just inspired by our conversations. Um, a little side note to our listeners is that once you had emailed me back, your email was just so encouraging. I felt like, you know, like this famous educator in the world that emailed me, little old me, and I printed off your email and I put it on my wall. So I always had just good memories, good, good, good thoughts about encouraged by you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. But what makes me an expert and I'm using air quotes is that I was an English learner myself and, and still consider myself to be an emergent bilingual. Um, learner, so I, I appreciate that. Well, I, I you know, but this, so. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think though that 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 I think it's our experiences and it's our own internal and external journeys that really help us put ourselves in in the shoes of our students, which I know for me changes every single way that I consider any action that I take when it comes to providing. Um, uh, an equal as well as equitable education for our multilingual families. Um, what 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 are some of the experiences from 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 your background, especially as a first generation Cuban immigrant coming here, and how does that impacted what you've done in the in, in the field of education, and most specifically when it comes to to cultural connections? Well, yes. Uh, I tell everybody when I started my first year in kindergarten, you know, we only spoke Spanish at home. Uh, so uh, I was very timid, very nervous to get, you know, started with in the school. And I was uh, practically a newcomer, uh, not sure what I was getting myself into. Um, we were actually in an area that did not have many Latinos because uh, my mother found work in a warehouse that was out in Kind of a more of a secluded area where not many uh, Latino communities were, were around. So my my teacher, this was back in the 70s, Kelly. So my teacher didn't have resources and research to reach kids like me. I always say it was it was her will and her passion. You know, the first mm -hmm. things I learned from her, the first words I learned from her was you can do it, right? And she always oh. promoted that. Um, so I always go back to that and I, I think about those experiences and um, you know those influential educators and, and people in the community that that played such a major role in helping me find 
my voice and and being able to be who would have thought right a voice for uh, learners like like myself um nationally at, at, at um when i was a part of oella uh so yes that always plays such a major role and i always like to bring it up because yeah it's kind of uh, i think i think back to those days just like i always think back to my day my days as as a teacher uh that that always plays such a major role in all the decisions that i would make um when we were when i was a part of oella it was all about finding solutions, right? We would have roundtables and conversations with educators, parents, students. Um, and in these conversations, we'd always find, you know, areas of need. Uh, and when I bring the staff together, my, my, my impulse was, let's find practical solutions for this. Teachers need to know, how does that look like in, in my classroom, right? We have all this research, all these studies, all these all this incredible information and resources out there but how does that what does that look like in my classroom so decisions and 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 um conversations that i have i, I always take it back to that kelly always because that's really the foundation to um you know my, again my expertise and, and with air quotes um i feel like i'm more of a uh, what's the word uh, of a curator Right. There's so much out mm. there. great resources. There's studies and there's all this great stuff um, that sometimes I just find myself just sorting through all of it and, and, and keeping in mind what our teachers needs are, what our students needs are and, and pulling from those and, and using those um, to, to help our educators uh, reach our students and, and, and give them these these opportunities to to find academic success. You know, I, I'm so glad that you mentioned the importance of of our educators, our teachers that are in the classroom on the on the ground every day with our students. So just a special shout out to all of our educators out there. Thank you for your service. Thank you for what you do. And thank you for seeing all students for for the greatness that they have internally. Um, you know, it's it's everything that a student brings to the table is an asset especially their their language and so whenever our educators can really see that what they bring to the table when they can build upon in, in their native language is what helps them become so successful so successful in such a way that they can help be leading um true change nationwide i mean your story to me is just such a huge success story i'm waiting for it to be like the netflix documentary and education um but it's just it's just so fantastic um but considering our, our teachers as well, that really connects also to our leadership. What advice do you have for leaders in helping supporting teachers to help students like you were? Oh, listen to your teachers, right? You need to be actively engaged in conversations with those that are working with, with our students, that are there at the forefront with our students. Um, I think one of the, the things we have to learn to do as educators, I'm saying we, you know, those of you out there that are working with our students and and, and being their, their um, educators, uh, you're also their advocates. <clears throat> so you have to find opportunities to be able to have conversations with your uh, administrators, with leadership so that they understand. Kelly, one thing I learned, you know, we always talk about background knowledge and co being culturally responsive uh, you know, incorporating their name, <clears throat> excuse me, incorporate some. <clears throat> no worries, you, you have your water, I'll have my coffee because I'm doing the same thing. <laughs> incorporating, let me, let me start that over so you guys, um, yeah, 
about it. So we always talk about, you know, the background knowledge. We, we talk about incorporating their heritage language, their culture, bringing all of that um, to our content in our, in our curriculum. Um, but I say go even deeper. Uh, there's, there's a book out there about humanizing our immigrant and refugee students. So it's what are their what are their likes? What are their dreams? What do they hope to achieve? Let's talk to the parents. What are what are the what are the parents' expectations of us as educators? Um, uh, you know, it's it, it goes beyond just being culturally responsive. So I think humanizing our students for our leaders is is just as important. They need to see that it's it's more than just a student that's learning English. This is a student that's on the journey to become bilingual, multilingual. This is a student that's going to have incredible opportunities um, once they 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 graduate and then go out into the workforce. Um, not only uh, you know economic opportunities, right, and opportunities for for you know to find um, work and careers and those kinds of things, but opportunities to build bridges around the world to connect with countries and people and and, and bring folks together in solving global. So, you know, and coming up with global solutions. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's all about the messaging, going to your leadership and making sure that they see our students. You know, we talk about there's a Zulu greeting called Saobona, right, which is more than just a hello. It's I see you. Uh, mm -hmm. It's such a powerful thing. And, and our kids need to be seen. They need to be heard, but they need to do that. They need us to 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 be a part of that that voice and 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 to provide these opportunities and I'd go even higher than than your you know your school leadership your district leadership I'm talking policy as well you know when people are trying to come up with policy out you know in in the state capital they they need to hear from us they 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 need to know what the needs are and what what you know what is what are the best ways of meeting those needs. So you know we we got to go all the way with this. So, so that that even so, talks about. That. I, have a, I have a question. If you could take us back to you know as educators, I think it's important for us to uh, do a better job of trying to understand the background of our students that are learning English. Can you take us back to your memories? I know it was a long time ago for you, five years old, but what is it like? Um, I think there are a lot of us out there that don't really understand what it, what is it like to come from another country and be just thrown into the classroom without knowing the language? It's, you know, it's, it's hard to put into words, but um, I go back to my experience again back. This was back in the 70s, right? So literally my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Larkin, had one of those English Spanish dictionaries that she would you know, flip through and piece words together so she would be able to communicate with me in my in my native language. But I think the biggest thing she did for me um, was create a safe space, a safe environment for me to feel like, OK, I can take a chance and try to speak up and and and, and work through learning this language and take some chances and in, in, you know, uh, a discussion and discourse. And, and she really um, helped me out with that. As a matter of fact, I, I tell this to people all the time. Um, one of the things she did was connect me with Alvin. And I think I told you the story once, Taylor, of Alvin. Kelly, I don't think you've heard it. Um, so um, Alvin was a kindergartner uh, that had a speech impairment. He would stutter. Uh, and Mrs. Larkin, again, no resources or research to reach kids like me and Alvin. She had to figure it out. And I know she didn't see my English, my, my limits in English as uh, as a as, as you know, uh, a disability. Uh, she just figured that these two kids can probably help each other 
maneuver through the challenges they face. So I felt safe talking to Alvin because if mm. I said things, you know, a little funny or differently, he knew what that was like mm-hmm. to, to, to be, you know, laughed at or, or to be looked at differently because you can't express yourself. And of course, since he would stutter, his job was to slow down when he spoke to me. So I would see the shape of his mouth and his tongue and what he was saying. He would have to say it so slow that I was able to pick up the language. So she put me in a safe space. And I think that's key is, is giving them, putting putting your students in, in a position where they can they can um, find this this success. Uh, so that was that was key number, you know, the, the first key that that welcoming environment, the ability to just let let me give it a try and take the chance. Um, to speak, we got to make sure we put our kids um, there. Uh, outside the classroom, what were what what are the kind of the stress, or why did your family come to the United States, and why do some people come to the United States, and how does that stress outside the classroom affect uh, some students' abilities within the classroom? Yeah, I mean, we got to realize, and again, it's humanizing our students. I think it's important, and we got to keep in mind also, Taylor and and Kelly, that most of our kids were born here, right? Uh, most of mm-hmm. the students, I think it's over 80% are, are from here. But that aside, um, yeah, you you have to keep in mind these journeys because sometimes they, they can be traumatic. You know, there's there's other other um, uh, obstacles that you have to overcome. Um, so in, in you know, in, in our case, it was almost like what you usually hear, right? It's the land of opportunity um, in, you know, talking about giving our students a voice. In Cuba, that was the first thing they took from the population was the ability to express openly. Uh, as a matter of fact, my father was imprisoned because he spoke against the government. Um, so that's why we came to this country. He said, I don't want my son growing up in a country where he can't express himself and have a voice. Uh, so here I am in this country where I can't speak the language, um, but uh, I, I did have the support, the support of the community, the support of our educators. Um, to to put me on that path to become bilingual to to um, be successful, um, and they always cherished uh, the fact that I had another language, and they didn't want me to lose it. Uh, so um, they involved my mom as much as possible in these, um, you know, in, in communications and reaching out to her and making sure that I'm still having. You know, conversations in Spanish and that I was holding on to that language. Um, like for me, it wasn't, you know, when I think of <clears throat> heritage language, when I think of, you know, we refer to it as L1, right? Sometimes it, it feels like something in the past, right? Like, oh, that's the heritage. That's that's in the past. Let me learn this new language, English. But for them, it wasn't like that. It was all one language, you know, one repertoire, one system that they were creating inside of me. I wasn't going to be two monolinguals. I was going to be mm-hmm. a fully bilingual student. This was back again back in the seventies. So it's such an incredible um, experience that I had. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it varies from from community to community and student to student. Um, and that's why we need these deep dives and getting to know our students, getting to know our parents, uh, getting to know what their dreams and hopes and you know, what their future uh, holds. Well, well, so our co-host, Dr. Tribble, he has been really involved a lot with me in my dissertation and doctoral process. And it's been 
researching the role of cultural proficiency and when that looks like in our education system. So whenever you talk about things like humanizing our students, I really appreciate you emphasizing that because I try to do the same thing whenever I'm speaking to educators and refer to them as humans and actually call them like the humans that we have in our classroom. So it always brings that back to the forefront that it doesn't matter who you are, from where you come, anything else, it's that you are a fellow human in this classroom with me. Um, so I just, I really appreciate you talking about that because I think that that is something that that we miss. Students sometimes in subgroups on standardized tests become statistics. That does impact the way that we view and consider policy that we have within our district. It therefore impacts pedagogical practices and what that looks like. Um, and I think it's important that that teachers are able to have the understanding that there are all these humans in their classroom and that we can pair them up with other humans in the classroom to create safe spaces for our students to have the best educational experience. Through that, though, I feel like the, the teacher that you had had to have understood some sort of their own level of cultural proficiency. They had to start in some internal to outside journey, understanding who they were, are, and the goals that they wanted to be. Considering that in all of your experiences, when do you remember starting your own personal, whenever you recognize like this is my internal culturally proficient journey as I'm in a, in, in a new country with a new language, um, in a new education system that then I can only imagine because currently now can be stifling for underrepresented populations. But what was your journey like? Maybe um, if you could give us some insight as, as a student, like that inside journey, and then what does that translate to now as you continue your journey, as we all are as, as lifelong learners, um, as an adult? Yeah, well, that, and, and absolutely everything that you said. Um, you, you mentioned being culturally responsive, and I think that's that, that was a something that was very important to my teachers growing up. I think I was I was kind of like new, like like this shiny toy, right? Uh, I, I, I they didn't approach me as uh, an oh my goodness or pobrecito, you know this. Uh, what are we gonna do? It, yeah. they, I think they really saw me as an opportunity, right? Uh, they were all monolingual teachers, um, but they all saw this as we can shape the the future of this of this child. We can play a role in in um his his journey his destination so they were culturally responsive and i'm glad you're doing a dissertation that focuses on that because uh that's very important um kelly for for teachers to realize what this means to be culturally responsive because everybody likes you know being multicultural is wonderful right and, mm -hmm. and putting you know things up in the classroom and, and all this but culturally responsive is responding to each child that's in your classroom. It's bringing their culture into the curriculum, is bringing their experiences, um, what they know into discussions. And if you think about it, what a rich discussion it is for everyone involved, the teacher, the native English speakers, to hear mm -hmm. this kid talk about what their life was like or, or you know the journey their parents took the journey they took i mean it it, it creates some some rich environments uh for conversation and discourse and that's how that's where language happens right that's where we learn our language is, is when we speak and listen and, and and are involved in discourse so i think miss larkin was and and the rest of my teachers were truly 
culturally responsive and they, they they'd welcome my mom to bring in some of the food and feed the kids and talk about um you know the the food and the memories that that she has um from from her home country uh i know that um one of the the things that mrs larkin tried to do one of my safe spaces kelly was and i i, I don't know if the, the audience would know about these big record players where you would put this record and it would read to you and you would you would you would look at a book and you follow along and there I remember velvet, these a little velvet <laughs> play remember a yes turn the page um, and she would order books like on baseball which Cuban out there does not like baseball right so she found these little things here and there that that fit kind of my experience and my background and, and brought those in uh, so that I, I would be engaged and I would be interested. And she was responding to me uh, and, and made it special. As a matter of fact, and she would use those to bring me into the class discussions. Jose, tell us about baseball. And I would, you know, I'd do the Spanglish thing. You know, some things were in Spanish, some things were in English, and we'd sort it out together as a class, as as um, a, a group of co-learners. Um, so I think that that's that that was the main the main thing was how she tapped into my background experience, reached in, and uh, and brought that and included that in the classroom. Again, this again I have to remind everyone this is the '70s, um, in in a school that had really no Latinos. Uh, one day I'll send you the picture of my class. I still have it, and I'm the only one that has a little line on top of my E for Jose. You know, everybody else it's oh, like wow. you know, Daisy and you know. Uh, Alvin and you know all these all these and Jose native English speakers <laughs> and there's this Jose there's little Jose out there that looks like everyone else um, that was in the classroom but just couldn't you know had to learn the, the English. You know I I, I would even want to add to that that it, it also sounds like 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 Miss Larkin went even beyond just being culturally responsive but really to create an environment of cultural interconnectivity. Like really creating this space where you were able to share your experiences in both of your languages, right? So using your entire linguistic repertoire. And even apart from just advocacy, what I'm hearing is a whole lot of allyship. I mean, really break, bringing in your family, having your culture shared, having your language shared, having your interests shared, having you as the human being shared in the classroom along with everyone else. And for back in the 70s, like you say, that is, it's really compelling to learn more about. And and I'm talking elementary school, right? Let's let's you know we got to remember those those students at the secondary level. Um, mm -hmm. I saw a classroom. Um, it's out in Portland, Maine. I think it's called King's King's Middle School. I want to say Mrs. Sinclair. Uh, she has a classroom full of English learners from Rwanda and the Congo. These are middle schoolers, um, and they went through this complex text called the Long Walk to Water. I don't know if you've heard of. Oh, I've read it. Um, takes place in southern Sudan. So these kids, a complex text, but they they were engaged and they were able to uh, go through this rigorous content and have these incredible conversations, almost leading these conversations because the native English speakers were there, you know, hooked. They were would tell us more. So you know what it's like not to have fresh, clean water in in your village and that you have to walk miles. I mean, it was just this fascinating, incredible discourse. And this is middle school. Um, but they, again, they were able to pull, not just from their experiences, but, but you know, fumble through their language. But the rest of the students didn't care because they were, they were all in. They wanted to learn more. Um, so, yeah, I would say, especially in these secondary levels, uh, when you get these, these kids that are, 
you know, trying to figure all of this out, um, but yet giving them that opportunity for what did you call it, Kelly? The intercultural or connect? Yeah, uh, intercultural connectivity. Connectivity. Uh, to yeah. Classrooms. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's a it's a beautiful thing. It's really a step just beyond like like multiculturalism. Whenever we you know see, understand, you know, are involved in in other cultures, but this inter in, being interconnected in such a different way is really sharing and valuing and participating in those experiences with people that come from in different cultures, which is, I love it. <laughs> you can call me a culture nerd or whatever you want, because I just love to learn about different cultures and languages and and, and all of that. It's, it's, it's really a whole lot of fun. Really, really interesting. Um, I just want to bring it down to like the basic level. We've heard about like the these teachers. I think you've mentioned two separate teachers now that have impacted your life. Yesterday, last night, I was given a presentation. It was an informative presentation about um, a, a district. I'm helping them with a, a dual language program. But there was a parent that came to this um, informative presentation and actually was the student um, of my partner, Chris, forever ago, year, about 10 years ago. And uh, she ended up talking when talking about him, started crying and said that he was one of those teachers in high school where she was in the ESL class, pulled out, um, also had a, a bad injury, um, saying that, you know, my teacher never left my side, depressed, didn't want to continue forward, was just motivated by him, was able to pass my end of the year test, able to graduate, now going to nursing school. Uh, helping her students become bilingual. And this is also coming from someone um, over the years, maybe since we're together, he's acquired a little bit of Espanol, just a little bit. But at that time, though, truly, like we're talking about a monolingual, monocultural educator that changed the the life of, of more than just this one student who's now an, an adult, but just kind of being in a, in, a, in, a, in a situation like that where something comes full circle. I mean, it, it brought just true emotions um, out of uh, of this, you know, human that he had in his classroom at, at, at that time. Um, so I just, I'm just so thankful to hear stories like that, because I know that we can all name an educator that's, that's changed our life and put us on a different trajectory in one way or another. But I think whenever it comes to being truly included in the space that you're in and to feel like you belong, so going to like that, that concept of belonging, is so wonderful. How does belonging and understanding about cultures, how has that changed the way that you've led in the positions that you've occupied? I think so. Um, I would say. Anything. Um, I would say the, the, the it's complex. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there's there's a lot there. Um, uh, so I think the, the again the key to that would be uh, to embrace the child hom holistically, right? To look at the the child um, as uh, a, a student on the road to becoming, you know, bilingual, multilingual, uh, and and in order to do that. Uh, yet you do need to include their, you know, what what they bring with them. You know, we we talk about that asset based, uh, that asset model of education, and it's crucial for our students who are um, learning English 
to to make sure that we are tapping into all of that. And we, as as we've been talking about, Kelly, you know, we're talking about we, the whole community, right? That whole takes a village model. Um, content general ed teachers, you know, they need the resources, they need the support, the training to reach these students as well, because they we all play an important role. As a matter of fact, if you're learning language, what better way to learn language than to do it within the content areas um, that that uh, your teachers are are offering you? Um, so so yeah, uh, I think it's it's um, definitely um, a, a very important mindset that we have to have. Um, and I think you mentioned it earlier, even as educators. Um, we we have our own biases, right? And and mm-hmm. you know I experienced that where where I had you know a, a student uh, that was an English learner, a multilingual learner, but also had you know a, a, a special need. He had, he was a student with an IEP, and you know a lot. Sometimes my reaction was, oh my goodness, where do I start? Right? Mm-hmm. Instead of wow, what an incredible opportunity. For this child, you know, yeah. what an impact that we as, as educators in this school are going to have in his life. Um, so yeah, just uh, changing our own mindset, our own biases, and and, and digging into that. Uh, one of the things that I talk a lot about, uh, and I think it connects to this, Kelly, are accents. So as you know, I travel the nation. Um, I was in Boston recently. I went down to Edinburgh, Texas. I was in Marietta City, Georgia. These are native English speakers with accents. Hello, you know, like a person from Boston talks very different from a person in Edinburgh, Texas. So accent, <laughs> accents in the English language, it's a global language. It's universal. Mm. We need to overlook that. Let's focus on, you know, not how they're saying it. Let's focus on what they're saying. Is it grammatically correct? What can we, you know, how can we scaffold and teach explicitly how to say something? But uh, not how you're saying it, right? It's it's beautiful to have these variations of accents. I, I had when I was uh, the director of the migrant ed program in North Carolina, I'd go to a lot of um, rural areas, and you know they'd come running out, maestro, maestro, and you had these little kids from Guatemala and Mexico speaking with a southern draw, and it was this beautiful <laughs> Spanish southern draw mix that just makes our language and and brings that diversity um, to light. So I always tell teachers that. You know, don't don't worry about that. You know, embrace it. It's like it's a beautiful thing, um, and and make it a part of of the 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 thrill of learning in, in in school. So you know, little things like that, being able to pronounce a student's name correctly. Yes, you know, that's that can be a challenge. But but if you blow it off, it's kind of like saying your your name's too difficult. It's it's not normal. You know, but if you take the time to say the name, that kid's going to be engaged. We talk about newcomers and that silent period add the na- their name to the mix, saying it correctly, they're going to talk. They're going to mm-hmm. be a part of the conversation. So those little things that are that are cultural um, that we sometimes chalk up to, ooh, an accent, I don't, I don't know, let's, let's clean it up. Let's fit. No, 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 those are things we embrace, we bring in. And, and again, we develop those safe environments for these kids to take a chance in, in speaking and, 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 and developing their, their language and their repertoire. Uh, so, yeah, a couple of examples there. No, I love that. There was a, there was a gentleman, uh, this was years ago, um, and he was from China, and he was giving a, a, a speech, and it was about language acquisition, language learning, 
was a session like that. But I just, I re, I'll never forget that whenever he said, and we were, we were just all laughing. He said, it doesn't matter about my accent. You understand everything I'm saying. Yeah. And I thought that's so true. It doesn't matter about the accent. I mean, it's about communication. Can we talk to each other? And so I love that you say that, but it kind of made everyone stop and pause for a minute. And I was like, oh, good. I, I like it whenever we make people think just for a second. <laughs> we'll see you. You're going to have to listen to one of the other podcasts about Dr. Tribble and his accents. And his travels. <laughs> yeah, Jose, you, you, you've uh, referenced multiple times and kind of uh, talked about stories that allude to the importance of the village and the family. Um, do you mind, and, and you also apparently obviously had uh, a lot of support from your family when you came here. Can you highlight what are some important things that schools can do to help engage parents that you know, oftentimes they're working, but both parents are working. It's it's hard to find time, but they obviously care about their kids and want them to be successful. What can schools do to help better engage families of students learning English? That, that's a great question, and, and that's a great question. And there's actually various um, approaches to this. I think number one, and this was something that was surprising to me when I was with OL, I would have these round tables and I would meet with parents and we'd have these conversations. And let me tell you, many times they would tell me, for my child to be successful in this country, they need to learn English, even if they have to sacrifice their native language. And it was mm. shocking to me, but you know, they were just so focused on, he needs to be successful, she needs to be successful. And, and I think this is the road. Uh, obviously, my, you know, my OLA side would kick in and I would talk to them about the benefits of multilingualism and, you know, everything, you know, all the doors that it opens, uh, you know, all the cognitive benefits and, uh, you know, and, and, and change their mind. So that's step number one is making mm, sure yes. that our parents understand the power that they have uh, at home. You know, if you're cooking, bring the child over, cook with them. Go talk to about the recipe in your native language. Tell them about, you know, I did. This reminds me of, of uh, this food reminds me of a time that, you know, I was outside playing and, you know, and turn it into a beautiful conversation. If you're watching TV, turn on the, 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 the closed caption so we can see the words on the screen so the parent can practice their English a little bit or vice versa. if They're watching something in Spanish. But definitely, I think that's step number one, letting our parents know you play a major role in this. And one of the biggest roles you can do is keep that language happening at home, right? Turn it, turn it into, give them that opportunity that they can translanguage later and pull from, you know, their whole repertoire of, of language that, they, that, they, that they'll bring to the school and that they'll bring home, you know, play music in Spanish, but, you know, they can watch TV in English and just have language happening all over. So that's, that would be step number one for me. Um, and definitely, just finding ways to to welcome uh, your parents into the school community. Um, I, I have to say, when I was a school principal, I was a school principal in Durham. It was a, a large Latino uh, population. I always made sure to take my parents on a tour of the school. Here they are entrusting their kids to us, dropping them off, right? Um, and and probably nervous and, and not sure and 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 wondering what what happens when I do that. They trust us. I would say the majority of, of our families, our, our parents and, and guardians of English learners, trust that we are there to do what's best for our students. Um, but take them on a tour, walk them around the school. And while you're doing that, that's when you can ask, hey, so, so what are your dreams? Tell me a little bit about your son. You know, Tell me a little bit about your daughter. 
you know, I want to get to know them. You know, and you you find out all these incredible stories. Tell me what your hopes are. What what you know. Uh, th these types of conversations are, are crucial and then it brings them into the community and all of a sudden they're not as timid anymore to, you know, knock on your office door and say hi or, 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 or go to that event um, that, um, that, you know, the school is offering, open house, whatever it may be. Um, and then, of course, there's, there's uh, you know, if I, I put my policy hat on, there's all the legal stuff as well, you know, making sure that everything is translated into native languages mm -hmm. uh, so that everything that's going home is accessible to your to your parents and, and guardians so that they know what's going on. Uh, if you all go to OELA, um, the Office of English Language Acquisition, you just Google OELA, it'll come up. Um, they, when I was there, I commissioned this um, toolkit uh, on parents' rights. Um, there's, I've got two chapters passed while I was there, and now Montserrat, our current. Um, uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary of, of OELA is trying to get the other um, units through, but it's it's a very powerful document because it's it's looking at the parents' rights, but at a federal level, right? Um, so they can see what are their rights. It, it comes with questions that they can ask in school. It uh, it, it comes with um, just kind of almost like a checklist of the, these are questions you should be asking in school. These are some of the resources that, that you have. These are some of the rights that you have as a, as a parent, because a lot of times they don't know. It's translated into five different languages. So obviously there's many more languages out there, but we can always find staff to, 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 to help with, with these translations as well. Um, so, so there's that, that legal side as well. So those are you know just a few little nuggets of, of things that we could be doing to get our parents involved, to be a part of it. I keep saying the journey, right? We're going through this journey of bilingualism, and, and those parents are, are crucial in, in leading the way. 100%. And I just want to highlight that because I think that is one area of growth and opportunity for many districts nationwide is to really have conversations in a language in which the parents understand about not only their rights, but the benefits of multilingualism. Because it is so detrimental that they understand that because parents are coming, like you said, and the majority that they trust, right? And so if we're going to allow them to trust us, then we have to make sure that once we know better, that we do better and that we can have those conversations to be able to educate our parents. They still get to make the choice. They're the ones in charge. This is their child's education. But I need to make sure that I have done everything to the best of my ability to let them know that the quality and the quantity of education in their child's native language will give them a higher level of language proficiency in English and give them more success overall. And if we continue to hide that truth from them because of whatever reason that might be, if it's just lack of, of doing so or lack of maybe leadership understanding that as well, that conversation that people that understand this research and are able to be in those conversations, I really want to encourage our listeners to go out and to have those conversations and to share the knowledge of the research and our experiences as bilingual or multilingual individuals about the benefits of that and the reality of that. And I always tell people, you know, like we, we're, we're all learning language. Even if you're a monolingual English speaker, no one is a native born speaker of academic language. We're all trying to learn. I, you know, I say no one was born talking about onomatopoeia, you know, like nothing of that was ever happening. So we're all trying to learn language. But the more that we can build upon the languages that we know, we elevate the languages that we have as our native language. Um, just yesterday, I was even giving an example of we were talking about a raincoat versus una chaqueta impermeable. 
And so whenever you talk, we like we don't say an impermeable jacket, we say a raincoat. And so whenever you start thinking about in Spanish, now you're adding in so many other, you know, cognitive academic language proficient words, like our science words, you know, like things like that. And so anyhow, point being, though, is having these conversations about the benefits of multiculturalism and multilingualism and the benefits of the brain. I just want to really encourage our listeners and our leaders out there to have those conversations among each other. But most importantly, definitely with our parents, because they do trust us. A hundred percent. Before we um, come to a close, I do have a question for you, Jose, about just kind of thinking into the future. Um, is there any is there any research out there or activity going on in the field that really excites you that uh, you think we need to be paying attention to in reference to students learning English? So I, I mentioned earlier that I'm more of a curator nowadays because there's so much out there and, and such great resources and people doing great work and studies. Um, but uh, lately, I've, I've, I've focused a lot of my energy on oral language development or oral, right? The listening and speaking domains of, of English language acquisition. Obviously, there's a reading and writing and that's very important. But what's the foundation to reading and writing? And it's the listening and speaking, this oral language development. And it, it, I've gone down a rabbit hole, as they say, um, which, by the way, the other day, I, I'm terrible at idioms because I think of them, like you were saying, Kelly, in Spanish, and then I translate them. So I did. I said something about a rabbit hole, and people were looking at me like, what are you talking about? And they corrected me. So now, I, now I'm using it all the time because <laughs> I don't know how to say it. Anyway, that's a, that's a different story. Um, so this oral language development piece is, is fascinating. You know, a lot of times, for example, like you'll hear about um, when kids are acquiring English, there's the BICs, right? The basic interpersonal communication skills. And usually what do you hear? That's the playground language. That's They need to do that in the playground, right? And then there's the CALP, the, the cognitive academic language proficiency side of language acquisition. That's in the classroom. And I'm using air quotes. Right. No, they need to do both everywhere. All the time. Right. <laughs> right? I mean, we're all talking now and, and yeah, we, we have our academics, you know, we switch it to academic a little bit, but in, in between we're joking around, we're talking about life experiences and those kinds of things. And we, we can't separate those two anymore. Um, when it comes to oral language development, let them let them bring it all uh, to the conversation because um, that's I mean, that's just normal. That's the way that's the way we talk. That's the way we communicate. Um, so I want teachers to remember that there's no, you know, it, now we talk academically and focus on content. No, it, 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 just like the whole translanguaging concept. So that's mm -hmm. the other one that I, I I ask your your listeners to to go down that rabbit hole and and yeah. learn about translanguaging. You know, your students come with this repertoire of of language right inside of them. You know, it's 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 all this language that they can pull from. Um, and they can mix it up and, and use it. And both of you become co-learners uh, when it comes to language development, because, you know, if they say it, you know, in, in their native language and they mix it up with a little bit of English, that's a great teachable moment for for the two of you to go to, to, to talk about it and talk through it. Um, so translanguaging is something that I'm fascinated by. And I love this concept of, um, you know, pulling from that full repertoire. It makes uh, just the comprehension of 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 rigorous content uh, a lot a lot more easier to comprehend right uh, it really expands the thinking it expands communication um, so yeah I'm all about right now uh, 
this oral language development piece, listening and speaking. Our kids are not doing that enough in classes. And teachers, I was there. You know, I, mm -hmm. I had my first year teaching was 35 Nicaraguan students uh, in my ESO class. Uh, how in the world was I going to have a conversation with each one of them that, that you know, spend enough time having conversations with? But you got to find a way. Our, our teachers are talking for about 80% of the time. You can't you can't learn a language if the teacher's talking 80% of the time. While in schools and classrooms where students are showing success, research shows the teachers talk only half of the time. Yeah. And the kids are having um, the other half to have conversation. I'm not talking about answering a question. I'm talking about discourse and conversation uh, in, in various groups, homogeneous groups, uh, you know, students that are at your level, your proficiency level, the students that don't speak your native language, you know, just mixing it up and having these these, these um, incredible conversations um, are, are the other, are the, that's, the path, that's the path to learning language. That's the path to reading comprehension because mm -hmm. yeah, we talk about decoding words and learning how to read words, but we gotta attach the, the understanding and making meaning of these words that we're learning. Um, and, and our kids can do that. But it happens through conversations and you know, oral language development and, and, and talking about things. If our, if our listeners would like to join you in that rabbit hole, <laughs> what are some like off the top of your head, any key like websites or places to go where they can start start jumping in the hole with you? <laughs> yes. Um, so I'm a big fan of uh, I guess this is a shout out uh, Dr. Jose Medina. So Dr. Mm -hmm. Jose Medina, I'm sure if you, you Google him, you'll pop right up. He, uh, one of the things he does a lot is go to um, dual language immersion programs and kind of help them figure this thing out. I, and, and I'm sure he, he'd say the same thing. I, I've, I'm a huge fan of dual language immersion programs, but I can't tell you how many times I've walked through the doors of a dual, dual language immersion program where it feels like two separate schools. Like mm. that's the English side. That's the Mandarin side. And they're not looking at the program holistically. They're not, the kids are not given opportunities to translanguage. They, they, they have to switch. They, they like a little switch in their head when they go on that side of the hall or go to the classroom where it's Mandarin. Um, so he talks a lot about this, about combining the two and, 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 and giving them these, these opportunities to, um, to use their language. Uh, so Dr. Jose Medina is definitely, um, I, I would say that's, that's one of the first places uh, I would go to, to to really dig deeper into this concept and figure out what does that look like? Again, going back to practical solutions, what does that look like in my classroom? Uh, how do I make that happen? Um, so I, that's step number one. Uh, I can't think of other like links and things, but uh, that, but if you start there, I'm sure you'll you'll find a lot of good stuff. You'll yeah, definitely find hole with you. <laughs> okay. plenty. Yeah, no, for sure. And Dr. Jose Medina, I had the, the privilege of meeting him and whenever I was living in Bangkok, Thailand. So oh. um, it's fantastic. And um, and so and my partner, Chris, was there and he won the book, The Guiding Principles for Dual Language Education. And so I went ahead and took that and said, thank you so much for my win. <laughs> and so I carry that around with me and have it in my backpack in this office with me actually right now. And so I would I would I would agree. Dr. Jose Medina is, is an excellent person to, to seek out on Twitter, on Instagram, um, Facebook, everywhere. Um, 
Yeah, and definitely the guiding principles for sure. And thanks for bringing up, though, the fact about Bix and the cap and having that be together. That was a conversation I was having in the car on the way over here. And uh, the person with whom I was speaking, Dr. Popowell, she was saying, you know, if we if we use the academic language, the students will understand academic language. There's no reason to not be having that being part of every type of conversation. You know, there's teaching content, but there's also teaching language of content and also us going back and forth between our monolingual, even linguistic repertoire between the basic English and the academic language, because it is all interconnected at the same time. That's a fantastic point. In in closing, I want to just ask this, this one last question, and I think it's good because it deals with honor. How can we encourage people to honor um, the uniqueness and the individualities of others? And how do we continue to honor our own uniqueness? and all the special things that we have in ourselves. What are the best ways that we can continue to honor ourselves, our students in the field of multilingual education? Again, I, I think um, the way I see this is um, by giving our students a voice. I mentioned that earlier, uh, Mrs. Larkin gave me a voice, you know, she, it, it changed my life, right? It changed the traje trajectory of, of my life and my future. Um, so I think you honor them by seeing them, by listening to them, by giving them the opportunity um, to share their life, their experiences, um, to to get invested in, in, in who they are and what they bring to the table. Um, and I think on the educator side, um, I think we, we all have to realize that we're a part of this journey. We're a part, you know, it doesn't matter what role you are um, in, in this child's community. Um, you do play a role in, in, in providing them the opportunity to become bilingual, multilingual, um, to be successful in their future and, and, and in their um, uh, academic journey. Um, so it's, it's, it's about um, finding these opportunities to unlock their their enormous potential um, and we all play a role in that uh, and, and, and I think um, I think that's the way the way to look at it you know we're honoring them when we see them when we listen to them when we give them the opportunity and and we you know we bring it as well when we realize the the crucial role the important role we play in in this journey that the, that the students are taking well I just want to say personally Thank you for everything that you have been in my educational career just recently, as of recent, whenever I was able to meet you. Uh, I know you, I, I know you laugh, but truly, I just I, I admire you. I respect you. I look up to you so much. And so I just want to say thank you on a personal note, because it just allows me to be a better version of who I am to hopefully do the same thing that you're talking about, which is honoring our students and the communities that we serve um, and just to continue to be a, a servant leader. And so I want to say thank you so much. Are there any final thoughts that you would like to share with us on this awesome podcast? Yeah, thank you, Kelly. And and I think with Kelly, and and I hope I hope everyone has an opportunity at some point to spend time with Kelly and and with Taylor, um, because with them, and, and and I hope you got that vibe from us. It's it's almost a celebration 
when we talk yeah. about um, th this this topic and our students and, and 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 unlocking their potential because it's a celebration of bilingualism, multilingualism, and 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 Kelly you always and and Taylor, you guys always bring that. You know, Taylor with with his focus on data and 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 finding you know ways to to uh, to to um, analyze you know all this important data and information that's out there so we can target. The needs of our students and, and help them uh, meet those needs and, and achieve success. And then Kelly, with you, you know, the same thing. It's it's this passion and attitude and and energy that you bring um, that I think it's crucial and that we all need. Um, there's something I, I always usually when when I have conversations with folks, I I always bring up um, someone that was uh, that's special to me, someone that I looked up to. Um, I had him speak to my migrant students back when I was in North Carolina. Um, and uh, when I was in Oella, you know, I had a lot of, it wasn't easy. You know, you, you're fighting for the rights of your students. You're fighting for funding for your students. You're finding, fighting to get grants and resources out there for, for your students. So it was an, an exhausting experience. Uh, but every now and then I'd look across the street. And if you've ever been at the U.S. Department of Ed, it's across the street from the Air and Space Museum. Um, and it always reminded me of Jose Hernandez. So Jose Hernandez. Um, was uh, a migrant student. He, he moved from Mexico to California. Um, he was a farm worker. He didn't know English till he was about uh, in middle school, but he was great at science and technology and math and teachers were able to tap into that. And eventually he became a mission specialist on uh, the Discovery uh, shuttle. I think it was 2009. Um, he uh, you know, got on the space shuttle. As a matter of fact, Talk about giving someone a voice. He's the first person to tweet in Spanish from outer space. It's <laughs> really yeah, so cool. <laughs> uh, but what I always tell everyone is we tell our students to aim for the stars. And this guy literally <laughs> went out to the, you know, went up there to the stars. Farm worker, English learner, you know, um, immigrant. And, and look at his accomplishment. An astronaut out in space tweeting in Spanish. Um, so if if he can do it, and he he if he was here, he'd say the same thing. Um, we all can do it, right? Uh, but this asset model approach, Kelly, that we were talking about today, and and being culturally responsive, um, our students will know that we hear them and and we see them, and and that they can they can reach the stars. Well, you are incredible listeners. I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation. I want to say a special thank you to our producer, Mike Overholt, who's right here. And then also to Dr. Taylor Tribble. Thank you so much for being our co-host today. And of course, a big muchas gracias. Le agradezco un montón. Thank you so much for your time today, to Dr. Jose Viana. I hope that you all enjoyed making some cultural connections today. And I wish you all the very best. Adios. Nos vemos.